This is episode 83 of the Empowered Athlete Podcast. Hey everyone, on guard, because today we have one of the quickest, fastest athletes we've ever had on the Empowered Athlete Podcast. It's Joseph Polisifakis, the fencer, specializing in saber. He's a lefty, he's born in Montreal, and as you're going to hear, he's a great guy, but he has a lot to tell us about and some struggles he's dealt with in his, in his career, including a devastating concussion that rocked his training and his life for over a year, and he still hasn't shaken the effects of that. Incredible to learn of the process that he's gone through and the things he had to do to stay positive during those dark times. But really, you're going to love this tremendous athlete who's had success in Toronto at the Pan Am Games with silver medals. He competed in Rio at the Olympic Games. And if they ever get the Olympic Games going in Tokyo, well, he's gunning for that as well. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Joseph Polisifakis. I don't know about you, but we've been losing our minds in this pandemic. Not only that, we've been through a move and it was winter. We just want to get out and feel better in spring. But we can't get together with anyone and we can't do all the things we planned. In fact, we had planned an amazing retreat in the Muskoka area called the Empowered Reset. And it's canceled. We can't do it. But we are adaptable. So we've pivoted and we are going to launch a 30-day online retreat still called the Empowered Reset to help you, achievers, find their energy and drive and vitality through invigorating workouts, amazing health habits, and transformational coaching. This is happening. May 19th is when it starts. It goes for 30 days and you will benefit greatly by being with us and doing this all together. We'll find ways to be together, find ways to find our energy and get coached in a way that can have you performing your best despite the circumstances of 2020. We want you with us in the Empowered Reset. Find out how, find more information, info at empowerconditioning.com info at empowerconditioning.com. We can't wait for it. We can't wait for you to be with us. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, created to support athletes in their pursuit of excellence and inspire others toward their best lives. Hosted by Kari Schneider, coach to top performers in sport and life, and Paul Jordan, former national and professional volleyball player. Everybody, welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast. As you know, Joseph Polisifakis is joining us. And Joseph, thank you so much for making the time. I know you're stuck in your apartment in Montreal, so you might have a little extra time. But I have a question for you before we get into the real conversation. You're a movie buff. Yes. When you watch Pirates of the Caribbean, yes. is the sword fighting any good, or do you hate watching it? <laughs> Well, I mean, <laughs> I get that question. I've gotten it before of, you know, if would I be able to do that? You know, it could be a side career. Do I like okay. watching it? Well, it's, it's actually very different from our sport. But, you know, it's something that at least you could say, oh, you know what, maybe a post-career, I could learn that pretty quickly and, 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 and apply that. Uh, but it's, it's definitely those types of movies that got me into the sport in the first place, right? I mean, as a kid, I loved Zorro. I loved Star Wars. And uh, when you get to actually do it in real life, holding a sword as a kid, it's, it's, there's no better feeling, actually, because you could hit people over the head and get applauded for it and encouraged instead of being put, you know, in your corner or timeout. So I was like, what's, what's the downside to the sport? As a kid, it was, it was very, uh, very fun. 
Well, that's one of my favorite parts of Christmas growing up was when the wrapping paper rolls were finished. And then oh, of course. Cardboard core. We'd go at it and each other until they're all bent. And I've broken many a cardboard cardboard roll for Christmas. He, oh, yeah. he acts like this doesn't continue anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as a kid, as a kid, yeah, so, it was yeah, long time ago, long time yeah. ago. Like he he saves them for the kids. Like yeah, of course, of course. So so for our listeners, explain your sport of fencing because now when so much coverage is focused on the big four and you know it's, it's usually only obscure european coverage that really gives media attention to other sports yes. um, tell our listeners more about fencing because in north america our as an audience we just don't get to watch that unless it's got some very special olympic coverage so tell us more about fencing and some of the rules around it and yeah. then dive into how you got into it and that's true. And actually, you know, this U.S. actually was, had made a big move of uh, making your flag barrier a fencer uh, I went at the Olympics, I believe, in, uh, in London. It was Mario Zagunis, and she, that, was, that was a big moment. Uh, but, you know, every four years, there's a spotlight, and then you sort of forget about it. Uh, and even when there is a spotlight, it's smaller compared to the other sports. So, yeah, fencing is, has been one of the original four sports of the modern Olympics. Uh, Pierre de Coubertin was a fencer. Uh, our current IOC president is an Olympic gold medalist in fencing, Thomas Back. Uh, who we won a gold medal in Montreal in 1976. So uh, this has been uh, this has been a sport that is is part of the Olympic spirit and the Olympic fiber. Uh, so it, very old sport, and what not many people know is that within the sport uh, there are three weapons, which are completely different sports themselves. Like I have never done the other two weapons. Uh, so mine is called the saber. Uh, there's an epée, and then there's the foil. Uh, so a saber is you would, uh, you know, it's more of a slashing type weapon where you hold it upwards and you slash versus the other two you might've seen is where they point just, and they could only touch the tip, the tip of the blade with a point, but with a saber, you could hit with a whole part of the blade that you could slash in any direction. Uh, but the rules are different. The equipment's different. Uh, the, uh, the, the competition. So everything is very different. And so, you know, it's, you say fencing and then even within fencing, there are three different sports and it's fragmented. So sometimes it's a little bit hard to explain to people all these subtle differences. And if you've never seen it on TV, well, then it becomes even harder to, to try and tell them how, how differences work, right? So uh, definitely in Europe, they showed a lot more. Uh, and it's a huge sport in Asia right now, exploding big time in Asia. And uh, Europe, it's always been bigger. Uh, but, you know, North America, you guys, especially the US, they have a lot of really good fencers. It's one of a powerhouse, one of the powerhouses in the world. And a lot of fences have been doing really well. So hopefully that brings up the whole, you know, value of it. If, uh, you know, we've, we've won medals in the two. So I think it's, uh, it's something that should be looked at a little bit more because it's a sport that combines everything, really. It's, uh, it requires so much technique. It requires so much discipline. It requires so much mental focus, uh, adaptation, preparation, you know, adapting to every opponent. It's always different. Uh, and you could be the best technician and practice technique all your life, but if you don't know how to apply it at the right time against the right opponents at the right distance and speed, uh, you, you won't be good. So it, it really combines everything, and uh, it's a very complete sport. Yeah, I, side note, when I was playing in Poitiers, France, where we went to work out to lift weights, there was a training facility there for fencing, so I could watch the athletes practice and then living in Europe for so long, you do get to see it more on TV in you know, Italy and France, where I was going oh, out. Of course. I was over there in the mid nineties, early two thousands, there were the powerhouses then. And yeah, I love watching on the Olympics though, because the camera quality is so good and the replays is what Oh I yeah. You need, you need the slow-mo. Fast, they could just 
I could not, and I've watched it a few times, I could not tell who had struck. I mean, you have the light signals to give you clues, right? But it's so fast, it's blindingly fast that you need those like high def replays and you see, see the most amazing nuances when you see it that way. It's just incredible. Yeah, and they, they have come out with a, a statistic or a study or whatever that it, you know, the extension of the blade that goes forward, like that velocity and that speed is the equivalent of like a bullet. Uh, so it's very it's very hard to see on the, on the naked eye, especially with if your cameras are far out. So the best way to view fencing is with a commentator and slow mo replay, so that every touch could sort of be re um, re examined, and uh, they could they could explain what happened, and you could see really where the blade went to touch and who didn't touch, who touched at the same time. So that's really the best way to watch it to understand, because if not, you could lose a lot of people. Oh, yeah. yeah, because they just can't follow. So it's hard to kind of get the yeah. and the anticipation of what's going to happen next and yeah. who's actually ahead. And, and yeah. so you need, a, uh, I imagine, a talented commentator who really understands the sport in order to give it its real justice and, and value. Yeah. And, and an extra challenge is, you know, I won't get into too many details, but Sabre is the, the, the weapon that has a lot of subjective judging uh, because it's not just when the two lights, when they touch, it's 1-1. One, one. It's whoever had the priority of attack. That's how you get the point. So if, if someone's going backwards and the other one's going forwards and they touch at the same time, it's the guy going forwards who gets the point. So if you're on defense, your goal is to make him miss his attack priority, either block him or make him miss and then you, you get your turn in a way. Uh, but a lot of times in the middle, off the middle sometimes to determine who had the attack, sometimes it could be nobody's point, sometimes it could be left or right, depending on if they made a mistake or if their arm came out quicker or their legs were not coordinated. So it's a little bit complicated. And the ref has a huge uh, input in every, every point he decides, right? Uh, and, you know, a lot of the times they get it right, but sometimes they'll make mistakes. So then if the commentator thinks it'll be something, but then the ref says something and then yeah. they can't really justify it or don't know how, uh, it could be confusing. So it's very, very touchy when you're a commentator. It's, it's a very tough job. So uh, when you have a good one, though, he's able to explain the nuances and say why, you know, referee could have seen it a certain way. And that makes it really interesting. Yeah. And, and that human aspect to it, the human, human error and the human oh, yeah. subjectivity. So that's an extra, that's an extra mental game part of, of the whole sport is like, it's like another opponent. You have yourself to control, you have your opponent, and then you have the referee's decisions and how you deal with them. They could really get you off your game and, and, and lose the, the, the gate, the match. If you don't know how to deal with it. It's one, it's one thing to be able to let go of your own error. Oh yeah. Well, other thing to have to let go of something, maybe, you know, you did accurately or correct and let go of someone else's error yeah I, I mean imagine 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 if you're running 100 meters and someone throws a banana peel and then like you slip and then you, you try you keep going and you lose but you're like wait a minute that wasn't my fault it was a banana peel that just came out of no how do you get over that and keep going you know it's 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 like an external force that keeps uh impacting you so if you don't know how to deal with that it could really crush you yeah, yeah. I, I found it's a great thing for athletes to hear. I, I learned as a volleyball player, especially in rally point, when we searched the scoring system, that when every point, every rally counted for a point, that you just have to mentally allocate two points a set. Yeah. You're going to be missed because the game's so fast, the referee's going to make a mistake. And if you don't do that, then you will lose your mind in those crucial oh, yeah. when that thing doesn't go your way. You've got to be mentally ready for it and just be like, okay, this is just going to be that much harder. 
and yeah and, and us it's a 15 point match and you know if you tell yourself listen i have to make 18 points to win or you know uh, or, or something like that like you have to tell yourself that uh and and really and really believe it because sometimes you say it, but you're like oh come on like i should get 15 it should be fair but like you have to really believe that and that's how you can overcome it uh and really find ways to reset in between touches because uh you could you don't have that much time between touches and the touches don't last that much time either so if you rush you're, you're, it's, it's against you. If you don't have control of what you want to do and your actions set out, uh, you're going to get, you're going to get it against you. Uh, so it's, it's so important. That, that kind of mental and emotional mastery is the kind of thing that people in everyday life would do so well, would be served by having those kind of skills, that mental and emotional mastery so that there's not the you know, there's all kinds of outside circumstances that we can't control, like what we're dealing with with a pandemic right now, but how we master ourselves, our thoughts or our emotions is huge in being able to then have our best performance, which is ultimately what you're talking about competition-wise. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think I think yeah, it's important in, in those moments. Instead of you know, sometimes when you you'll get upset and you're just like, oh, I'll get the next point and just be like, I'll show them kind of thing. But without really having a plan, that's usually when you you lose the point, right? You get you get aggressive. You have the energy to do something well, but if you don't put a plan in your head of what you want to do exactly, you'll just be a, a ball of energy that's uncontrolled. So if you could funnel that into specific actions that you give yourself, you're gonna do that energy really goes in, in a long way into being a positive force instead of, you know, using it against yourself. And it may end up having the advantage ultimately. If, oh yeah. You know, They're in your head and, and yeah. you don't have to do anything. You just make yourself lose the point. It's happened. It's happened often to me. I'm not saying I've mastered it either, but it's uh, it's been an ongoing process over my whole career. You're in your head. You're dead. Oh yeah. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. That's a good one. Yeah. So um, tell, tell us how you got into the sport of fencing because when I think of our kids and I think of other athletes or athletes I've worked with or he's trained with, it's not the typical sport that parents are putting their kid into. So oftentimes it either takes um, a familial influence or maybe a proximity influence. So what got you into fencing in the beginning? Yeah, so I, you know, most sports, you know, you've either seen them on TV, so fencing, that wasn't really it. Uh, someone in your family has done it, nobody in my family had ever done it, uh, or your school offers it, and uh, as a kid in elementary school, it was never offered, it wasn't a sport that was offered, but in high school that I went to in Montreal, it was one of its most renowned saber fencing clubs in Canada, that, and that was that's what happened, right? It's like, it, 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 it was thrust upon me when I got to the school that everybody was applying to make the team. It was like a very hot thing to make the fencing team. Uh, it was like making the basketball team or the hockey team, which is very rare. And, you know, you don't see that in many schools. Uh, yeah. But this one was the school to be at if you wanted to do saber fencing. So I, I tried out for the team and uh, we were around, you know, 50, 60 kids that tried out and they would only take 20. Uh, and the tryouts were, you know, because he had to cut so many people, he, he, he started, my coach started the first ever tryout by saying, everyone here is going to have to run a mile. 
And whoever doesn't run a mile, you don't even get to start the tryouts for fencing team. Like if you can't run a mile, it's over. And at the time I was a little bit chubbier. That's the story I usually say a little bit, you know, heavier at the time. And I was into soccer and, and martial arts. I was more like a sprinting type guy, but you know, long distance type mile for me, that was like running like a marathon at the time. I was like, I've yeah. never really done a mile. And I was afraid I was going to humiliate myself and get cut, cut in front of everyone. But what happened was that my, my last class of the day, right before that trial went like 15 minutes long. It was a math class and I hated math at the time but it actually helped me in that moment so I got to the the, the run late and the coach told me uh, okay well you're cut immediately you, you missed the practice and I said no, no listen it was my math class I'm really sorry uh, if you want me to run now everybody was done there were kids crying on the floor because some who didn't finish it were cut immediately and I thought he was going to make me run in front of everyone just like solo and just, I was going to collapse halfway through but he ended up he ended up saying listen okay I don't have time to make you do it now just come up into the training hall we'll do the rest of the practice and I'll make you run it sometime this week uh, thankfully for me, he has a bad memory. And uh, we started doing the trainings inside and then he never made me run it for the rest of the week. And I started, I, I, I started doing the other stuff pretty well because I had a good base of martial arts. Uh, and I made the team. I made the team of 20 people at the end. Oh my gosh, you yeah. stuck below uh, the radar. Yeah, of course. And, and actually, that, that was actually fuel for the rest of my career because I told myself that it was to totally a miracle that I made the team. And I said, this is some kind of sign. So I said, I'm never quitting until everyone that made the same team as me is done in the sport. Like I said, I'm going to show them that I, I deserve this spot. And that was definitely the last guy standing uh, 15 years later. And karma can't come back and get you because yeah, you I, I, I said, listen, everyone else is going to stop before I stop. There's no way. So it, it helped in moments of, you know, doubt of, do I continue this sport? Uh, you know, with injuries, with, you know, when you get to high school, a little bit older in CJF in Montreal, we call it, you know, right before college, you know, you get distracted by so many other things. But I was like, I'm sorry, there's still people from that year competing. I gotta, I gotta keep going. And uh, that's, that was, that's like a, a story that I always kept in the back of my mind and, and, and kept me going uh, through hard times. That's now, amazing. I read you were heavily influenced by someone in your club who you watched compete. Was it in Athens? Yeah. So the first week of practice uh, that we got there, one, one student who was the first student of my coach uh, since he, it was, he was, he was at the time the, the student was 26, I was 12. Uh, but this was one of the first ever students my coach took on and it was, uh, the club had existed for like 15 years at the time or something. And this is the first time anyone was, uh, was very close to qualifying for an Olympic games from this club. Uh, and, uh, he ended up qualifying for the Athens Olympics. Uh, so I, I was there while he was there training and I was like, wow. I mean, I never thought of Olympics or anything when I started fencing, I was just like, this is fun, but to have someone in your club who you saw get to that point, you're like, okay, I'm at the right spot. And you know, this, there, it is possible. So it's such an important factor to have, you know, models or role models that have uh, done something that is seems unattainable and they're right in the same training hall as you. It's, it's pretty impressive. And it gives that motivation to keep going and saying that you're on the right track. Yeah. It's uh, so important. It's like, no one could run the four minute mile until Bannister did it. And as soon as he does it. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, it's really, it's, it's really a, a mental, a mental shift. Uh, and to see an, anybody that achieved that you automatically, uh, it automatically becomes more of a possibility than it was before, just by seeing it. It becomes yeah. a question of, well, why can't I then? If yeah. And, and, and you start in the same, and you sort of, you know, you start, you, you can't start by saying we're going to make the Olympics because 
uh, then you, you start putting a lot of pressure on yourself at like 12 years old. And, and, you know, you try to do the small steps, you know, I want to be provincial champion. I want to get to that level. I want to get, I want to go travel to competition in the States. And it's small little goals that are always propelling you towards that bigger one, but you have to, you have to really focus on those small ones before aiming for that big one. But if you know someone who's done it, then you get more, you become more patient and you know that he went through the same steps and that there's no real shortcut because you know exactly what he went through, you're going through. So you kind of see the real story and you know it's possible. And it's not just some kind of figment of your imagination. Mm-hmm. So this is, you've been, you've been doing this since you were 12? Yeah. How yeah. old now? 48. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm 29. I'm 29. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm 29. <laughs> so it's, it's, been, uh, it's been around 16, 16 years. But it feels like a long time, right? Because when you when you're going through quad cycles, yeah, it marks your it marks your life in certain ways where you kind of oh yeah, it was that quad and it was that Olympic. Oh yeah, your life is is based on quads and you remember them so clearly how they ended, uh, how they started, the stuff that happened in the middle, and then it's like it's like a if you had a book, it's like a new chapter after every quad in in a way. It's it's uh, it's very weird as an athlete how your your life is based on that. Uh, now this time it's a five-year cycle, but uh, this uh, it it it's, uh, it changes just the whole way you see your life and how you plan things uh, based around these Olympics. It, it's it's unreal, actually. Well, you you made the national team in '09. Yeah, first time. You didn't even have a four a full four-year run up to the London Games. No, yeah. Obviously, that must have been the goal at that point. What was that process like, and not reaching the goal of getting to the games? Yeah, that changed a lot for me, but it was, it was so, such an intense period because what happened was as I turned 19 and I was still considered a junior uh, in, the, in the ranks, like the 19 and under, you're a junior. But I was, I, was, I was good enough to make the senior team. And, you know, the Olympics is a senior competition with, you know, it's, it's very, very high level. Uh, so I started making the team at 19 and we had like two and a half years to, to, to grow into the senior role really quickly. And usually takes a long, you know, fencing you peak around 26, 27. Uh, even older because you have to mix all those elements I, I mentioned before 30, mental 31, 30, 30. yeah yeah even even yeah exactly I'm still I'm still on the up uprising <laughs> yeah. I'm defying logic and physics no but even 31 32 uh, it, it's it's we have a lot of them who are still top top notch in the world uh, but what happened was at that point we got significant funding from a program called own the podium in Canada uh, and they targeted fencing as a potential you know a, a good a good sport to to target for the olympics uh and we got a coach who came from russia who took just four of us on the national team full-time uh that's all his mission was is to train us and try to qualify us as a team for london 2012 and so i was training to is that yeah saber saber yes four yeah. for the saber so yeah. just for saber yes and we uh, we were training two times a day, six times a week. Uh, and I was going to school. I was going to university in between. So I'd go training, school, training, training, school, training. Tra- it was such a it's, it was a really rough time, and it, it it was necessary to get the you know you had to get those hours in. It was it was took me to a whole other level. Uh, but it also created a lot of fatigue. It created a lot of mental mental strain just because we're traveling every every two weeks. We're going to competitions. Then we're doing training camps in Germany and in Belarus and Ukraine for six weeks at a time. We were gone because he had all the contacts there. He wanted us to train against better guys, get better quicker. Uh, we were on a very tight timeline, so we had to accelerate it. And we were seeing results, but you know, life is like this, right? Sometimes you would, you would be doing a lot of training and you're feeling great, but you'd have just, you know, you'd be in a down phase because you're so tired and exhausted. And it was very hard to, uh, to do all that training condensed into that time. 
Uh, and, you know, I ended up, we didn't, we didn't end up qualifying as a team. We lost to the USA, the USA qualified. Uh, and as an individual myself, I, uh, I came up short as well because there was a team option as Team Canada. So we didn't make that. And then they would take one or uh, they would take two people from all of the Americas. So the Western Hemisphere, they were going to take two fencers uh, who are not part of Team USA uh, to go. So uh, I didn't end up making that cut. Uh, and at the time I was 22 and uh, it was, uh, it was a tough, very tough blow actually, which, which made me, you know, put shift priorities around. I went back to school full time. I finished and I was decided, okay, I'm going to finish my degree. Uh, I still, I still stayed active, but after that we lost all our funding uh, from, from, from on the podium and our Russian coach was, you know, let go right away. And uh, we are sort of trying to make a new system come out of that. Right. So it was uh, it was a heck of a, of an emotional and physical and every every type of roller coaster you wanna you wanna use. Just hearing that, oh, I hate it so, because uh, just about the funding. Because yeah, it's like, <laughs> we make it go. Yeah. We think you guys have a, a decent shot at a medal, so we're gonna invest in you. You go through grueling training. You're yeah, two and two and a half years. Yeah, I mean, two and a half years is never enough to put anything into place, really. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And yeah. so they put in that investment. You yeah. got to do the right things. You're pushed as athletes. There's ups and downs. I mean, you said it yourself, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. I mean, it's a roller coaster that's getting higher and higher. Yeah. Mind, yeah. Exactly. And so yeah. they put the money in, but you don't get the result right away. So let's pull that funding. Yeah. Yeah. It's very. It's very black and white. It's yeah. like. Yeah, it's like, will this get us a shiny medal at the Olympics or not at this point in time? No, well then cut. And like, that's pretty much what the the, the program at Canada the time. I think they made some adjustments though. Canada does this over and over with different sports, and it's so it's so selective. And we we've we've heard this recently with other sports that are say, um, you know, bobsled, skeleton. Oh yeah all these sports where so much has been funded and then as soon as the cycle's done everything gets reevaluated and certain yeah. programs just get slashed and burned but then there's no hope for people to grow based on what was developed it's this mentality of scrap everything maybe oh, for a couple of years and oh we're going to throw some money at this again because it's too yeah. out from the olympics and maybe we'll try and accomplish something because there looks to be some talent in there yeah yeah in there i'm going to throw a little money at it and that's kind of this mentality that canada goes from whereas the countries that do the best in the world doesn't matter what sport it is whether it's a, a team sport individual or more obscure sport the ones that do the best in the world have legacies of oh, yeah. quad after quad after quad they have depth in terms of younger up and coming always up. And when the funding gets pulled all the time, there's never that legacy, that depth, that that um, growth that can be built upon, and it's, yeah. it's so frustrating. And this is where one of the one of the many. I mean, obviously, for this podcast, for us to get it out to other people, it's about overcoming the challenges. It's about going beyond and reaching further, but it's also about having a greater awareness around what's really going on in sport that the public just doesn't ever see because it's not covered on the media. No. They think that any of our national level athletes have, you know, a decent living, but they're typically below poverty line. And, you know, some of that is exposing to the general population so they can understand, okay, like this is what's really going on. This is why when you watch the Olympics, 
how can you expect us as Canadians to do any better than we are at a major games? Because there's just, it's the funding isn't there. The awareness isn't there. The it's none of it. The depth isn't there. So Canada should be top in the world at any given sport, especially summer games, but we're not because it's never supported and nurtured over time. And yeah. you know, how, how does, how do you make that happen? Right? So, yeah. And, and I, 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 I totally agree because every, you know, just for, I'll talk about just fencing, but the, the countries that are at the top are all the ones that have those, they have the exact same type of system. They have a, a really strong main core with young guys who are always fighting for it. They have super, uh, you know, everyone's uh, sponsored in a way. They're sitting in a center together. They train together. They eat together. It's all, uh, and they have a lot of these type of military sport programs where like the, the military lets you be like a special status as an athlete. So they get paid from that and then they have their trips paid and everyone has a similar system. It could be in Italy, South Korea, Germany, Russia, uh, so all those top countries. There's nobody training, uh, you know, with three guys in the gym with a coach who's paid like $10,000 a year and, uh, you know, trying to make totally. things that's 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 what that's what we're fighting against so you know with these resources we had to rebuild everything after 2012 uh and uh, try to build something up again so it's like always restarting in a way when were you able to get can fund support from conrad and jane i i first time i got canva was in 2015 yeah. uh so it was uh I, I i heard about it uh maybe a year or two before that i, I think i applied once or twice and then i got i think on my second application uh, and then you get that call from conrad uh, you're like who is this guy He's like super nice guy super cool guy and uh, I, I really you know that that it's it's getting that that call you know right before an Olympics too when I was trying to qualify for for Rio uh, that immediately like that money goes from my hands into uh, a trip to a training camp into a, the next competition because you know we have to pay all our trips uh, so uh, it's it goes straight into that it's peace of it's peace of mind too because it's that it's draining on your, you know, your energy overall when you're wondering when your next, where, where your next month's money is going to come from when you know what you have to pay for, what you need for your food, your accommodations, or your travel, or your company. Oh, yeah. And it's draining when that's what the worry is. When you know that that's taken care of and you know you've got the money that you need, then you can focus on what you need to do to get better versus versus just trying to survive. So, yeah, so that's then they've been doing this for years and helping so many athletes. So whatever they've done, they're, they're, they're saints, you know, they're, it's incredible. Jane's a powerhouse and, and, and the, as a couple, they're just like a super superhero. So okay. uh, hats off to them. I got to know them very well over the past years and, you know, visited them in Toronto and their gallery at their house. So they're, they're super, super people. That's amazing. So yeah. what, what, what would you say your greatest, challenge has been that you've had to overcome uh well would you say well i mean there's there's physical ones there's you know the biggest for sure for me physically was a, a concussion i sustained so i i got back into it uh in 2014 uh, i was making another run for the olympics uh that i decided you know i was like okay I'm, i i finished my schooling i had stayed active uh, but then i was done school i'm like okay i'm gonna go all in uh and uh, try to make uh, the real 2016 olympics uh, and uh, two months after my graduation, I was getting ready for the world championships of 20, 2014. Uh, and, uh, and what happened was I got, we were doing this cross, cross training activity, uh, boxing. 
and uh, it was very badly managed. You put like the guy doing it gave us, you know, put two fence. We were fencing. We were fencers, right? So he put two of us in a ring with like these big gloves. Like, oh, try it a little bit. And I, he put me with like another like 200 pound fencer who was just wailing, and we were just we didn't know what we were doing. We're like, okay, I guess he's like, don't worry. It's these are big gloves. They won't hurt you. So I got hit across the head pretty pretty badly, and you know I didn't fall or go unconscious, but I had this just persistent headache. Uh, that wasn't going away and that turned into the, the worst ordeal of my life i mean for for six months i was uh seeing three specialists a week uh, i couldn't get out of bed i couldn't train uh, i couldn't uh go to social situations because the the sound was too much for me uh, i had a constant tinnitus in my ear uh, i was ringing insomnia uh, so i just had every symptom and uh, it wasn't going away and you know it was compounded by the fact that okay well i wasn't working i, I didn't have school anymore like i was done so those like i was just in this like black hole because I couldn't train anymore either. I couldn't travel. My, my, my competition at the Worlds, I wasn't going anymore. Uh, and because I couldn't go to that, I couldn't keep my ranking up for the year. And that's how you ensure a government uh, funding the carding. So I, I lost my top 32 in the world status, which I was at the time. So I lost the funding. And then I was just trying to rehab and just hope to maybe recover in time to have a chance to try and qualify. Like that was, that was my, 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 my purpose at that time it wasn't even let's train a good six months before qualifications like super hard and then we'll be ready i was like i just want to get back to being healthy and being able to get back on the fencing strip and that was the only thing i cared about anymore even that pressure of qualifying anymore it's it sort of it puts so much things into perspective about my life uh, beyond that uh in a way that when i did come back from it i was just so grateful to be able to do my sport again you like i like fell in love again with just being able to compete being in the sport being out there and you, you sometimes you forget about that as an athlete when you're just in it every day you forget that initial love you had and i was just i was just so grateful and i told myself you know whatever happens happens and i i, I pulled through right right at, at some really key qualifying events put some really good results right before the the olympics and I qualified uh, in, in 2015 for, for the 2016 Olympics. And that was part of the greatest, worst, worst time of my life to the greatest time in my life within a, a one year span. Okay. Mona, what, you said, you know, the worst time of your life, but can you tell us what a worst day would be like, what you were really thinking and feeling and how you turned that around? I just know myself personally, if I was ever injured, it was the injury is one thing, but it's mentally that it was the worst. That just yeah, honestly, I mean, you know, you wake up every day with a with like let's say a headache, right? And you try to watch TV, it hurts your head. You try to take a walk, you get you get dizzy uh, outside. You can't you can't talk to you, go see talk to your friends. I couldn't talk on the phone too long because even that was too loud for me. So it's like I was literally on the bed and like looking at a ceiling, like what am I gonna do? And it's it's not even at that point like. Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I know I had, I had herniated discs. I've had torn ligaments and even in that same training year, I had all these things at the same time at one point, but it's like, you know, you're going to get over it. But at this, it's like, there's no timeline and, and everyone is different. The doctors don't, don't all have the magic solutions. They can't give you a timeline. And that's the most frustrating part. That's what causes the anxiety. Uh, that's what caused the uncertainty. And also like, will I ever be the same again after this? Well, well, and I still do have symptoms that never went away. Uh, but you know, it's that, it's that uncertainty of like never getting out of this tunnel, never getting out of this hole, that that's, that's what creates the suffering and that anxiety is like not thinking you'll never get over this. And that's the hardest, the really the hardest part that plays on your mind and makes it worse. Well, how, what did you pick up skills to deal with it? Did you have somebody supporting you who 
you could talk to briefly or what? So I, I, uh, I was referred to, uh, at the time I didn't, I didn't go speak to a psychologist or something like that. I, I started playing board games <laughs> with like, I would invite, you know, one or two friends and my girlfriend there who was with me, uh, supporting me the whole time. And we would try to do some board games. I would put like headphones on in the house with like sunglasses to avoid the light doing that. And that was pretty much the extent of what I could do, like social interactions, because it was, it was just, it was just bad. So it, it, while I was doing my treatments, I was just doing my treatments, coming back home, trying to rest, uh, trying to do some of the exercises. And eventually I started doing these special, I saw a kinesiologist who was uh, making me work on exercise to get your, your sympathetic and your parasympathetic system back, back in line. Cause they were kind of out of whack. Your alarm system was just always on. So you had these small exercises of like bringing your heart rate up and then trying to like get it down. Cause sometimes it would go up and it would just stay there. And it was just always like on, you know, that's why I couldn't sleep. That's why your insomnia kicked in. And, uh, a lot of interesting stuff. I did some special eye exercises and special machines by a, by a neuropsychologist who had developed something really, really cool uh, at the center where I trained. So I, did, I was doing everything I could. And uh, th that's what I was focusing on, just being able to, to be, just to get back to being a normal person was, was my first goal. And then I like fencing almost was coming second at the time. And to be able to come back from that and do fencing was just uh, a miracle for me. This, this might be an unusual question, but if you had some magic ability to be able to have, make that not have happened, would you, would you take it away? Or would you now, being able to look back, would you still have gone through it because of what you gained from it? Yeah, I've, I've asked myself many times, you know, that question because you know usually when you come out of it and then you look you see what you learned from it how you grew from it and you know the lessons you learned about you know it, it's you know how you grow as a person on the way to a goal is, is so important uh but i would you know i would still prefer not to have gotten this concussion because i still i still have symptoms that remind me of it so it made me a stronger person for sure but you know i wonder what i would have been how would i have been if i never had this what i even maybe i never would have even qualified for the olympics right uh maybe i would have not you know had some other injury that would have taken me out at the wrong time or maybe I, during the, i would have overtrained i don't know you know so i think i don't have any uh i don't think i should um i should you know say it was it was it was useless because i learned a lot but i do regret doing that activity in in, in a dumb way and not not in my head, I was like, this is stupid. Like, I shouldn't be doing this. Like, I should maybe not be punching each other in the head with no headgear, even though he's telling me it's fine. And he's the coach. Like, he's the, the, the boxing guy who knows what he's doing. But it's like your, your ego sort of gets in the way and you, you, you see other people doing it. Oh, it'll be fine. And you're just like, no, it's, I should have just said no. And just say, I'm fine. I'm, I'm doing it now. But you kind of get in, into what the group's doing and you just, you know, put silence those voices. And that's maybe the biggest lesson I've tried to learn is that, like when you have that voice in your head just listen to it and just forget the ego forget the pride forget what other people are going to think uh, because you could have some really bad consequences which are totally in your control to avoid when you could avoid it you should avoid it yeah yeah wise words yeah definitely and and you know that was you know that was the tip of this because when I advice though because like you said you're in environments you know with the guys yeah it, and yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's dumb. And it, it, looking back, you're like, how could I have done that? But when you're in the moment, it's a different feeling. And you don't want to be like, oh, you know, it's, it's fine. It'll be fine. You know, you don't kind of like an athlete type of mentality. But uh, no, it's sometimes you just have to say no. And uh, sometimes it's, uh, it, it'll save you a lot of problems like I learned. 
So, the Olympic process, you made it out of the concussion. Yeah. What was the Rio experience like for you? Oh, it was incredible. I mean, what I also realized that when I, when I got there, we were at the, um, my, my parents were selected to come to the Canada house and cut the ribbon with the governor general to like the Canadian Olympic house. Uh, and that was such a huge, huge honor uh, uh, that uh, I still remember to this day. So like we opened up the Canadian Olympic house to all the family and friends with the governor general and my parents, like they represented like the parents, you know, of all the Canadians that were going to come. So that was a huge, huge moment, which almost didn't happen, by the way, because my parent, the, a lot of flights, I don't know if you remember, but for, for some reason, a lot of flights were getting canceled uh, to Rio at the time. And my parents' flight got canceled, but CBC managed to get them on a plane, one, one, one last like seat. Uh, I don't know how they did it, but they got them over and, and they made it in time to do that, uh, uh, the ceremony. But uh, that was, was a moment I'll never forget. And then just having, I had 10 people at the Olympics. I had my girlfriend, her family. I had friends. I had my, my parents, my family, and they were all at the opening ceremonies. And, you know, going in that, in that stadium at that time was like you getting shivers uh, when you realize where you are. And not just that, but being around other Canadian athletes who are around you who start crying around you, like guys, girls, whatever, everyone, so many people crying when you walked in because you realize they went through some crazy stuff to get there too. And over the course of the two, three weeks, you get to know your teammates and like hear their stories. You're like, wow. I mean, it's, it's pretty much just pick any one of these people and they'll inspire you with something that they overcame people almost dying, uh, you know, having crazy, you know, I know track cyclist almost like broke his neck uh, before the Olympics, uh, a diver who like uh, a platform like, broken when he was doing this exhibition show and he fell into a ditch and had like six ribs broken. So, so things like that, that you just like, when they overcome and you come into that and through all the shiny show, you're like, my God, it took so much crap to get here. Yeah. <laughs> and then you just yeah. really appreciate it way more than if someone just gave you a ticket to the Olympics and you showed up, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's very different. It's very different. The value and the meaning is just so huge. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it really is. And you, uh, you, you try to, you know, be proud of what you did and you try to take that with you in, in other areas of your life, you know, and that's what you have to always remind yourself of, of what it took to, to achieve a big goal and then try to, to recreate that and tell others about it. You know, are there any lessons or takeaways you have from the experience that you would change looking forward to Tokyo? 2021 now. Yeah. 2021. Yeah. Is there just in terms of like uh, the Olympic experience or yeah. Or I know a lot of athletes have talked about being there and striking a balance between allowing themselves to enjoy the experience. Yeah. And at the same time performing their best. And yeah. So uh, that, that's a good point as well, because you get there, it's, it's sensory overload. You get, you get you solicited here and there. You get invited to dinners with CEOs from Canada. You get invited to events with uh, this person and this person. And then you go to every country has their own house that you go visit. And so depend, you know, some people competing on the last day, which is pretty like, that's, that's always a hard balance. Uh, I was around five days in, which is actually good because you could do the opening ceremony without feeling bad about it, that you're not competing the next day. Uh, but at the same time, you have some time to, to acclimatize, but even within, yeah, but what I realized like a normal day there is like five normal days here. Just so much that goes on. And it, it does become mentally draining, even though you try to stay, you know, physically, I'm not going out and running every day or, or yeah. doing, you know, crazy things and doing some workouts and training, but doing this is, is so hard. 
especially yeah. as a first time Olympics. So, so like when you came so much to get there, you're kind of like, wow, I want to, I want to experience it. Yeah. And, and just for the, just for the whole... listeners, you kind of put your hands to your head, like you're putting blinders on. Yeah. You're saying you can't put blinders on, right? No. Yeah. It's hard. It's very hard, you know? Uh, and, and I, I guess with, ex with Olympic experiences that what, that's what I think if you go a second time, you learn that a lot better and you're like, okay, I know this happened the first time I get blinders until I'm done. And then, yeah, uh, but you know, I try, I, I, it's not like I was doing crazy things before my competition, but you still, if you get there and you're kind of just, just always on. Uh, so, you know, what happened is the, the day of my competition, I, I, I was, I was feeling okay, but I, I was feeling a little bit, you know, just a little over stimulated. Uh, yeah. And, and not being able to get back to just, okay, let's stick what's going on here. You're just kind of going on adrenaline. Yeah. And uh, not not thinking through, just sort of reacting, you know, instead of planning, acting, uh, taking control. So that and and then referee mistakes at the Olympics are magnified times ten of how they affect you because every point, you know, offensing uh, at the Olympics is you go. Let's say they take thirty people in the world around, right? So we're we're around two hundred and twenty high level offenders that do the, the World Cup circuits. You take around 30 uh and i was ranked 29th at the time in the world or something like that and you just go number one fence is number 30 number two fence is number 29 direct elimination there's no round robins there's no warm-up uh 15 points if you lose you're out so i was against number i don't know like four or five in the world uh you start you know you start it's, it's a tight match referee makes a couple of mistakes or that you think are mistakes doesn't matter if, if they are or not if you think they are and it gets to you you get a little bit rattled you see your family you see it's yeah. hard it's it's a lot of things at the same time so it, every point is so crucial to recenter yourself and instead of doing that i was getting more excited in a way like uh, aggressive and it wasn't working so that's that's something i would definitely have to change so it's it's little and it's three three minute periods uh yes but in saber we never we never get there uh, uh it's too quick it, it, it doesn't last that long so theoretically yes but they never use the time. They never use the time in saber in foil and epi. Yes, it's very important. The three-three minutes they use them. So your Olympic competition literally is, if you're out in the first round, under nine minutes. Yeah, yeah, around with some breaks uh, in between touches. It's around uh, ten, nine to twelve, maybe fifteen minutes done. So if you attach your whole value of you know I'm I know being an Olympic medalist or if you if you don't make it a good result at the Olympics you're worthless and you're based on 15 minutes you know if you don't learn anything on your way there well then it was it, you're going to be very crushed and you have to find other ways to 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 put that you know in, into perspective and just be be very grateful for what it took to get there you know and 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 not define yourself by you know uh, being an Olympic just being an Olympic champion or an Olympic medalist you know even just participating is so difficult. But even if I didn't make it to Rio is what I'm telling myself is I, I had to learn to accept that I should have been proud of myself no matter what, just being able to come back from it, right? Because I did the, the different parallels between London and Rio. And in London, I was devastated. It, it like crushed my identity. And it told, you know, I didn't know who I was after that. You know, typical feelings when I didn't qualify, it was like, what was the point of doing all this, all these years? It, it, it came to nothing finally. Even though I had done medals at world championships, I had made friends around the world. I had traveled to 40 different countries. I had, you know, interacted with so many people. It, it enriched my life in so many ways. But you attach it just to achieving that goal of becoming an Olympian or Olympic medalist. And then if you don't achieve it, Racism. I mean, that's the best way to crush yourself, you know? Uh, so when I came back in Rio and I came back from the concussion, my, my perspective changed so much where I was just so grateful to be back doing it and just enjoying the process. And I said, listen, I, I, 
even if I don't qualify, I just have to know I came back and I tried my best and I, I just love what I'm doing. Uh, that you, you have to think of it that way, even though it's very hard because we're so goal oriented and saying you either achieve your goal or you don't, but it's so important that it's cheesy, but like the person that you become on the way to the goal is way more important than achieving that goal. Cause when you achieve a goal, you always want to achieve another one and you're sort of never happy. You have to enjoy that process. Um, it's, it's huge. We, we talk on here a lot about the athlete identity and, and we've talked about that with Paul as well. And, and how that is, is sometimes insidious. You don't even realize it's there until the big thing fails yeah. and the feeling of everything slipping away or, or losing everything or just being so devastated or, or depressed um, now it seems that you have greater perspective, not only on yourself, but on life and that, you know, th this next Olympics is a part of your life, but isn't your whole life. No. If, yes. And that's kind of a bigger, a bigger global view on a, on a micro focus. If, if you narrow down on your mental, uh, aspect of how do you, reset do you have techniques or or special ways that you reset in between every point or every between every questioned point because that would be almost the complete opposite or the complete paradox to that global perspective how do you focus in on that that micro perspective yeah i mean the the it, it's been something that uh, for for a lot of years was was very hard uh to find something that was like something that would work all the time but what i found best work was always always take your time uh never go back on the line uh, quickly first first thing is that if, if there's something that really affects you shocks you the worst thing is like okay i'm gonna go get the next point and go right on the line and then you know, not take that time to really set yourself back on without having a thought of what you want to do. If you, if you go back on without an idea after being rattled by a point, very rarely have I ever gotten the point. I've made some kind of irrational, quick move that's easy to see. Uh, and my opponent sees it a mile away. And in the meantime, he's, he's very calm, takes his time and you're just there ready, but it doesn't work. So I've, I've always found ways to, um, give myself certain words that'll, that'll be like, okay, like, uh, two small steps on the next on the next start with two very small steps uh very specific small actions that'll that'll force me to think and slow down the time a little bit or or just you know instead of you know the ref will make a mistake i'm going to try and walk walk back to the edge of the strip gives me a, a couple of like five more seconds by the time the ref says hey come back to the strip but it gives you those extra seconds to think of you know okay what happened what am i going to do give you that extra time you need to buy yourself time uh because every time you don't or every time i don't i've realized i very ever rarely get the point uh, and do you and, uh, go, yeah. also take a breath to to yeah. reset some of your your biofeedback your heart rate that kind of thing yeah i, I take three big breaths like like slow it down. Uh, and sometimes, you know, not when, you know, you get mad by a free call, but if you feel a little bit, uh, you know, like not energetic enough, you could do short breaths that'll give you a little, a little boost, right? A couple of short breaths. to give you a little boost before a point that's really important. You just want to be alert and then you can tell yourself an action. So it depends on what you're feeling. If you're feeling very riled up to try and get down, give yourself that extra space, that time, give yourself specific action that you want to do very specific. So you don't get, make your brain make something just a crazy irrational move. Give it, give it a specific direction. Uh, and then take your time to get on that line. 
like get yourself ready to go. Uh, it's, it's always happens when I'm not ready that uh, I lose those points. And that's what happened at the Olympics is that, you know, I would get a, uh, I would get a point, he'd get a point, he'd get a point, he'd get a point. Then it'll be two, two points that I thought were mine that went to him. So instead of being, you know, five, three for me, it's five, three for him. Uh, and, uh, and, and then you're like, okay, well, I, I can't, I don't want to lose three in a row. Like, let's try and get this one quick. You're sick down six, three, then you're upset at yourself. Then he makes, you know, he's, he's sixth in the world. He's not just standing there like a scarecrow. He's, he's coming at you as well. So it's yeah. very hard to stop as well. <laughs> oh my God. You know, so it just, it starts bubbling up and you don't even know what you're doing at one point. You're just, you're just there, just acting, reacting. Uh, and, and he's in control. Uh, you've lost control. So what's, what's um, your plan or response to this postponement of the Olympics coming up for, for the pandemic that we're dealing with now? Yeah, uh, so for me, um, and if you can I... Qualifying process as well, just so... so sorry? If you can also just share in your answer the the qualifying process of the steps that need to happen or what's been yeah so it's it's uh, it's one year of competitions uh, ten competitions uh, around the world and um, at the end of that they take one team and one individual from the Western Hemisphere who's not on that team uh, so I'm fighting to be that one individual right now because uh, once again you know Team Canada lost to Team USA so Team USA is is very likely qualified now. And uh, they're very strong. They're very good. I mean, number two in the world and number eight in the world. They're the two some really strong fences. So uh, hats off to, to the USA for that. They're good. Um, but um, I'm fighting for the, the one spot in the Western Hemisphere now. So uh, I'm, in, uh, I'm, in, I'm in a tight battle. And we're, we, have a, we have one competition left. When, we don't know when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, now it's, you know, you just have to be, you can't really give yourself timelines right now. You know when the next Olympics are, but you don't know when the next qualifying event is. But from what I'm seeing, I mean, I don't think we'll be competing before September because uh, every country has to come out of a lockdown yeah. in order to be able to, you have, you can't do an international competition if half the countries can't show up. It's not fair. So everyone has to be out of lockdown. Everyone has to be back and running and being able to let their athletes go. So I really don't, I don't know how that'll be done, you know, and, and then organize a competition. I, I don't see before September. Yeah, even that seems early. The way you're describing it, it's uh... yeah. I mean, every country has to be out of lockdown, yeah. and we're still in countries that are on the way up. So, so uh, with cases, you're in quarantine right now because you just got back in the country. So then, are you are you gonna take a small break because you can't compete anyway, and then get back at it in terms of getting as much training? But now, since Team Canada hasn't qualified. Are you going to have the support and the coaching that you need just to get the, the, the reps, the practice, the, the, the opponents that you need? Like how yeah, we, we, have, we have support, but you know, our training center now is closed till mid-May uh, already. So we can't even train fencing at all right now. Uh, so you just have to, we're getting emails, we're going to get online, we're going to start getting online training programs, trying to do stuff at home. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I actually am on day 16 that I'm back now. And I also got a test that was negative. So I'm, I'm officially out of quarantine, but it, it, I mean, everyone's still quarantining, even though they're not yeah. sick, right? Yeah. That's, that's been the, it's like stay home anyway. So yeah. it's going to keep, it's, it's like, you know, it's act as if you have it, even if you don't. So everybody is, is like in the same situation. What I'm going to start doing more of is going outside and, and getting some fresh air because 
usually they say when you come back in the 14 days, don't even go outside. Don't go to, don't do nothing because you could infect people. So I was strictly abiding to that. But now I think and, and the weather's getting better and get some fresh air and, and try to get that, that, that working again. Uh, but there's, a, there's another side to this where I'm also, I'm, I'm working as well. I, uh, I, you know, after, after Rio, I, I took a, also I started, I, I stopped for a little bit of time fencing because I was, uh, I started working at Bell Canada. I'd gotten a job with them. Uh, and, uh, two years, two years later, I was training a little bit, doing a couple competitions, but very, very light. I was, I was focused on, uh, on, on my career. And, um, two years later, I found another opportunity with uh, Petro Canada. I don't know if uh, you, you guys know them, right? They're, they're, the very big uh, gas uh, company here, the very big Olympic sponsor. Uh, and I told them my situation. I said, listen, you know, it's, it's, we're about a year, two years out. Uh, I, I want to try and get back into it, but you know, I have no more funding and um, I, 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 I'm not ready to, to get in debt, like, you know, 30, $40,000 yeah. to try and make another Olympic run. And I'm going to be older and, you know, I, I need to think of plan B. So I found a way to, to do a job while also training and competing for, for the next Olympics. So it's been about a, an experiment I've been doing now for a year and 10 months, nine months now. Uh, and it's been a heck of a whole other, whole other challenge I've never had in my life before, which, which has been very tough. I, you know, on paper, I managed to make it work with some flexible mornings off, nighttime trainings, working during the day, traveling, you know, leaving, coming back, having someone cover for me, then catching up with everything and trying to still manage. But uh, it's been a heck of, there's a whole other challenge this time, you know, very big challenge because I'm the only one in the world doing this uh, in fencing at least. Uh, so uh, I, I see why now. <laughs> well, this, I see why. This is, this, is the, this is the demand or the challenge for the canadian athlete right because yeah okay we want to want to do all the things and make the living but we don't have the we don't have the support or the funding typically yeah and, and you know i was like you know if, if i go back all in and you know i have to pay out of my pocket then i'm older if i get injured uh and then i still i've, I've been out of you know out of you know touch with like you know the the, the business yeah. community yeah. uh i'm gonna be 29 you know i'm getting older uh yeah. My girlfriend is, 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 uh, has been supportive, but still at some point I have to convert to, to real life at some point. Uh, so I said, you know, if I could find a way to make these work at the same time, I'm going to go, I'm going to do it. Uh, but I was, if I didn't, you know, find a, a job or that was accommodating, I don't know if I would have even reembarked on this journey. Because uh, uh, I, I was, you know, after Rio, after everything that had taken that toll from, from London and what it took to get to Rio, I was like, okay, well, I, I'm pretty satisfied. But, uh, you know, something, you know, opportunity came up to try it again. And I said, let's, let's try it. But I'm not like 120% full-time in it. Uh, I had to find a way around it using more of my experience. But it's, it's, it's been working out pretty well. I mean, I started, when I, when I came back in, I was 400th in the world. And I got back into being in the top 32 in the world. Uh, so I, I found a way around using experience. <laughs> that's what happens when you get older. You get better with experience, dealing with these situations, even if... That's, that's what helps, right? That's what helps, you know, at least in fencing, you know, I don't know if in track and field, I would have been able to use experience to be fast in the hundred meter, yeah. but uh, it depends on the sports you're able to, to adjust because you're still physically strong, but now you have the technique, you have the tactics, you have the experience of, of knowing how to calm yourself down, how to hype yourself up. And uh, it, it's such a big part of, of being good at fencing is, is, is knowing how to control the emotions, the game, the, the, the tactics uh, and your opponent. It's huge. Yeah. Well, well, Joseph, we got to start winding up the conversation. Yeah. What we do, we want to learn a little bit more about you, 
you know, away from the sport and what lights you up. And obviously we're all in lockdown scenario. So, so what movies are you watching? Favorite what books movie. do you read? Yeah. Oh, favorite books. my favorite movie ever is, uh, maybe it's a little embarrassing, but it's Dumb and Dumber. That's my favorite oh, yeah. movie. It's my favorite movie. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't like, usually I don't like watching movies like more than once, maybe twice. I've seen that. Yeah. I've seen that movie 15, 20 times. Like at least in the past like two years, like I, I watch it repeatedly. I don't know why. Uh, it's and Jim Carrey as a kid was like a really. I love Jim Carrey. I watched all his movies, uh, but uh, definitely Dumb and Dumber is, is my is my go to. Uh, and books right now, I haven't been reading books. I listen to a lot of you know, uh, you know podcasts. I listen. I read the news. I'm a super big news guy, news freak. Uh, I love stand up comedy too. I listen to a lot of stand up comedians. Uh, yeah. So I, as a stand up. Uh, well, like Louis C.K. used to be my favorite, uh, and uh, you know he had a little bit of a falling out. Uh, but you know I like this, I like the stuff. I like Bill Burr as well. Uh, I, find I, him, Bill I find him, yeah, I find him pretty, pretty darn good. Uh, I, I listen to those guys a lot, uh, and and podcasts. You no, know, obviously I, I tried. To, I, I started a podcast as well uh, after uh, after the the Olympic. Actually, like around a year and a half ago, and uh, I, I found I started interviewing other Olympians because what we're talking about is so true. And I thought it was important that, you know, between two Olympians have conversations about lessons they could learn from each other and things you could extract. So I, I started doing that and I have, you know, I have around six episodes released and a bunch of them in the editing room still, but it became very difficult uh, with the working and traveling to do it all at the same time. So now I'm trying to give myself some time now to, to start pumping out the other ones I've, I've had and start getting some more interviews out. Right. Cause something I want to keep doing. What's your podcast called? Uh, it's called The Olympian's Podium. It's on uh, iTunes, uh, uh, Spotify, uh, all that stuff. Awesome. And then yeah. do you have, um, do you have a favorite, do you have a favorite food or dessert? Uh, <laughs> uh, food, my favorite food I'd say uh, is, it, sorry? Schwartz's Deli? Yeah, I mean, smoked meat is very hard to beat. It's very hard to beat smoked meat, but uh, I'm a very big sushi fan too. I love sushi. Oh. I really like sushi. And uh, well, dessert, I also have a, I have a very big sweet tooth as well. Uh, that's, 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 it's, it's hard to stop. It's hard to stop it. Uh, but, you know, anything that has, you know, chocolate in it, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. It's, it's hard to stop me from any of those things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you had a message to send out to young athletes it could be fencers but they could be any young athletes what would you want to share from all the years that you've you've got yeah there's a couple of things um i, I i'd say you know one is is a is a saying i heard you know about a year or, or a year and a half ago and uh, it was on joe rogan's podcast i saw him mention that it was someone brought it up and uh, it was a saying, how you do anything is how you do everything. And I, I found that really, really deep because I used to think it wasn't the case. Like uh, growing up, I was like, you know, you have like put everything into boxes. And, you know, if you're if you don't do something well here, you, know, but you can make up for it here. And yes, people have strengths and weaknesses. But if you're not doing something right in one area, very likely you're not doing it right. It just sort of how your personality, if you don't, if you don't invest yourself in whatever you're doing at that time, you're likely not going to invested in, in anything else that you're doing you know it's it's not to say that okay so we don't like things more than we like other things but when you do like something and, and you put the time right into it usually you'll be someone that likes to invest time and do well in, in, in everything so if if you do something well in some area likely you'll be trying to do something well in another area and in my head i used to disassociate things i'm like oh you know i could you know if you 
doesn't matter if I don't do that. I could do that. I'll, I'll, I'll step up when it's important and do this better. But everything's important. Everything's important to do well if everyone do well in the bigger picture. So I, I, I think that's very important as, a, as, as growing up that how you do anything is really how you do everything. So be careful of what habits you develop. Uh, because uh, it's 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 much easier to develop a good habit than to try and break a bad habit. I, I yeah. find. So but, I think it's yeah, I think it's really important. Huge one. I love that one, and I haven't heard it for a while. And it's it is it's exactly what you're saying. It's it's um it's along the lines of the things that are easy to do and also easy not to do. And yeah. Sometimes can be those small things, and it, it yeah the same vein of what you're speaking of that those young athletes if they get those small um if those concepts of the small things those can be the details that really make a bigger difference down the road so yeah so so that's one another one i'd say is uh you know uh, something i learned firsthand is really try to enjoy the journey versus like attaining that goal just the goal uh because you know attaining the goal is great but it lasts you know mine lasted 15 minutes and if you if you if that's all you have to to say that if you succeeded or not you're going to be very unhappy you know so uh you know it, get getting to a goal is very important but it really is the person that you become everything you've learned the people you've met the, the experiences you've had that's really what life is about it's all about that time in between goals you know the time in between attaining goal is really where you're living your life the goal lasts a certain amount of time and it's over but uh those moments that lead up to it is what what defines the life you know so i think it's very important to enjoy those and if you're not enjoying them well then ask yourself am i doing the am i in the right thing is that's what i want to be doing so uh, another thing is like when you know when you hit walls or when you when, when you're about to quit always ask yourself okay why am i doing this and if you still like the answer well then it's good to keep pushing through but it's also good to sometimes if you you can't answer that why anymore and you you really don't like it or you don't like what you're doing or you can't give yourself a good answer it's okay to stop as well and pivot you know it's sometimes you you think you know people say never give up but you know sometimes maybe it's important to like if you're not doing something for the right reasons you pivot into something else or pivot or change or make an adjustment it doesn't always have to be like never give up no matter what sometimes you should maybe make a pivot you know but if you have that why answered in your head keep going don't give up go through with it because you're going to be happy at the end of it you did you're going to become better for it you know so i always try to ask myself why am i doing what i'm doing what and when it when it starts to lower in in, in and quality of the answer and you're just trying to find reasons you're kind of getting a hint that maybe it's time to to switch it up you know or move on and do something different yeah and then and then when you do you know whether that was the right move or not oh yeah yeah it's yeah. Get the answer you know whether exactly hey now I know, yes, this is the direction I need to need to go, but you, you can never really know unless you try something a little bit different. So. Exactly. So I think it's very important to to always have that internal conversation with yourself and not just get bogged down in a routine and I should be doing this, I should be doing this. Really ask yourself, well, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, and be happy with that answer. Yeah. Well, it's fantastic advice. Yeah. 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 We're it's, so grateful to have that, that kind of, um, that kind of depth and the experience that you're offering this way. Is there anything else that you want to add before we, uh, before we wrap up? Uh, well, we, we did a good, uh, good, uh, a good overview of, uh, of my life. I gotta, I'm going gonna, gonna to start writing a book uh, after this podcast. I'm just going to retranscribe it and write a book uh, based on my, on my stuff. No, I, I, I'm, I'm very happy. Uh, I think we had some, some, some good stuff, uh, 
it was honest, right? Genuine. And uh, uh, thanks for thanks for having me. I, I don't I don't have anything really to to add. I'm all out of I'm all out of wisdom and uh, fortune cookie advice. You know, <laughs> little wise words. I, I'm out of it. Well, then, Joseph, on behalf of Kari and I and all our listeners, thank you so much for taking the time for your honesty and sharing the good and the bad. And of course, your advice at the end there is just words we can all learn from and apply yeah. them. Uh, that, that's the point. That's the point of this stuff. So thank you so much uh, for having me on. We just need one more Dumb and Dumber quote before we oh. talk about that. That's all. What's oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, my favorite one? Uh, my favorite scene is 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 with the gloves. The gloves is one of my favorite when uh, they've been freezing. I can't remember the exact line how he says it, but he's like, he's, he has his gloves on. He's like, so you've had two pairs of gloves this whole time? And he looks at him, he's like, yeah, we're in the Rockies. <laughs> and just like... It's like he's been in this hypothermia and he's had two pairs and he hasn't told them. Just the way he looks at it, he's like, yeah, we're in the Rockies. It's just like, <laughs> and then he just wants to kill him. It's just like, that, that gets me every time. There you go, everyone. Dumb and Dumber yeah. tonight on Netflix. Yeah. While we're locked yeah, up. Yeah, we're in the Rockies. <laughs> it's good. Oh, him over. Okay, I'll stop. Joseph, thank you. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you're wanting to connect with Kari and I for online training, public speaking events, or more, simply send your request to info at empowerconditioning.com. And hey, we need your help to keep growing this show. So please share it with coaches, athletes, trainers, parents, anyone who you think might be interested. Get them to smash that subscribe button and follow the Empowered Athlete Podcast. We can't do it without you. Thanks again for listening.
Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening. If you're wanting to connect with Kari and I for online training, public speaking events, or more, simply send your request to info at empowerconditioning.com. And hey, we need your help to keep growing this show. So please share it with coaches, athletes, trainers, parents, anyone who you think might be interested. Get them to smash that subscribe button and follow the Empowered Athlete Podcast. We can't do it without you. Thanks again for listening.